Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. My name is Reagan. Um, I'm a Covenant community member here at The Well. Um, I serve on Well Kids, and I'm a part of the Parker Station CG. <laughs> um, today, we're going to be reading from Genesis 32:22 through 32. Jacob wrestles with God. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not uh, let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of God do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Come on. All right. Let's see if I still remember how to do this. All right. We good, family of God? Yeah, good, good. It is good to be back with you all today. Uh, for those of you who are new, uh, as Osagi said, my name is Tori, and I get the privilege of serving as a lead pastor here. And so if you're new and for the past six weeks, you're like, man, I love this church. Sorry. All right. Hopefully you still love it after today. Uh, but it is good to be here. Uh, man, yeah, I love you guys. I, I've missed y'all so much. I feel like uh, whenever I'm even gone for just one week, like it kind of like pains me to leave the body and it's been six whole weeks. And so I'm genuinely uh, excited to be back, almost a little bit like overexcited. I kind of hope I don't preach too hard today. You know what I'm saying? So good to be back here. Um, I also see that the elders have uh, made the decision to switch to do ga- two gatherings upon my return. <laughs> They're like, this dude gonna be rested. So he all right, all right. And so Uh, No, it's really cool what the Lord is doing. Uh, The fact that we get to like multiply gatherings and hope to create space for more people to interact with Jesus is an unbelievably awesome thing, right? And the fact that we've got to do that, like the first gathering was like full. I was like, did we multiply in this mug? And so uh, it's really exciting to kind of see what the Lord is doing. Now let's pray for more church planters so that we can send from this growth, amen? Like, I mean that, let's pray for that together, okay? Um, Okay, so one of the biggest benefits of missing Sundays is actually getting to worship in other church bodies. Uh, And it's been really, really good to be able to see what Christ is doing throughout the city of Austin. And I know that I am biased. I'm like a parent who thinks their kid is the cutest kid on earth. You know, they're like, oh, isn't he so cute? And you're like, aw. That's a really polite way of being like, not really, but you know, it's cool. Um, I'm like a parent. I get that. But like what God is doing here, y'all, it's really, really special. It's really, really sacred. And I've even missed getting to sit like, like the presence of God amongst us, even as we gather is just really unique and really beautiful. And I see God like moving in really unique ways. And 
to gone, have gone through what we went through the past year and to be where we are as a church and to see God moving in the ways that he is moving, it's really, really special, y'all. And so praise God for that, that he's choosing to be in our midst. And thank you, because y'all are a part of that reality, like loving this church family together. It is such a privilege to exalt the name of Jesus together. Um, additionally, I'll say this, thank you for loving me and for loving my family well during this sabbatical. Uh, several of y'all jumped in and gave gifts. A lot of y'all jumped in and gave prayer. It was felt and so really, really encouraging, all right? Um, I learned a ton of things over sabbatical and I'll share those uh, over time. But one of the verses that kind of stuck out the most to me, it really popped off the page during my sabbatical was from 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, or 15, Paul says something really unique here. He says, I will most gladly, right? Like not just gladly, like most gladly spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. Paul's saying, listen, I will do whatever it takes. Like I will spend and I will be spent kind of doubling down on this idea of giving himself for the sake of souls. And listen, y'all have loved me well. And I want you to know, I am so committed to seeing the name of Jesus exalted here, y'all. Like I'm so committed to being a church family that loves each other well, so committed to seeing mission come from here. I am ready to spend and be spent for the sake of souls. And so I'm kind of fired up today, all right? But y'all gave me two gatherings, so I got to stay tight on time, all right? And so let's jump in. We ain't trying to eat lunch at two o'clock, you feel me? Um, we're continuing our Multiply series, however, jumping out of the book of Acts, and I'm going to try to tie in the biggest thing that I feel like the Lord showed me over sabbatical and how that fleshes out in my life and how I hope for it to flesh out in your life as well. And so as we read, I want to look at Genesis chapter 32, and I'm going to give you my biggest premise for the start, kind of what I'm doing with this sermon at large. My biggest premise is there is so much more of Jesus to be had, y'all. Like there's so much more of Jesus to be had. As we think about multiplying, as we have been in this series, one of the things that I know and I am confident that can multiply and the thing that I think is most important to multiply is our intimacy, our relationship, and our knowledge of Jesus. I do not think there's anything more significant nor anything that fuels multiplication mission quite like having encounters with our beautiful Messiah, the Son of the living God. There is more of Jesus to be had. There's more. You can multiply your intimacy with Jesus. So let's dive into the passage, okay? As we jump in, some context, thinking about, okay, wait, there's more Christ. Jacob is this man that is a, a predominant character throughout the book of Genesis. And we meet him in this story kind of on the, the, the fearful return upon the promised land. You see, Jacob was the, the covenant promised man of God that was going to bring forth the promises of God, ultimately the Messiah. And God actually promised before Jacob was even born, he promised that he would be the person that was going to bear the seed that is to come, who we know as Jesus. And yet Jacob never believed in that promise his whole life. You see, he thought he had to swindle and, and wrestle and take God's promises upon himself. He did not have faith that God would, through his grace and mercy, give that promise to him. 
And so similar to his father, Abraham, who literally forced the hand of God with Hagar trying to bleed the promise out, so too is Jacob throughout his life maneuvering and swindling, trying to receive the promise of God. And so he tricks his brother Esau to receive a blessing. And Esau was mad at that and promised to kill him. And so Jacob has been on the run for 20 years. And in that time, he tricked his uncle Laban and he tricked him again for more cattle. And and Jacob has been deceiving and maneuvering throughout his entire life. But God told him, I want you to go back to the promised land. And so he's on his return now. And as he's on his return, he reaches out to his brother Esau and he's like, hey, by the way, yo, like, like I'm returning, we cool? And Esau was like, I'm sending 400 men to come with you. And that's where we meet him. In this story, he had just heard 400 men are coming out and he thought, I'm gonna die tonight. And so we're meeting him in the midst of death. We're meeting him in the midst of chaos. Uh, We're meeting Jacob in the midst of some personal tragedy, some hardship. We're meeting him in the midst of both drama and trauma in his life. This fear and this uncertainty. We're meeting Jacob in the midst of the dirt, right where God seems to form his best creation from the dirt. Notice this text starts off saying it was night. Now, not always, but often in the Bible, specifically in Genesis, the author will give you a physical reality to highlight an even deeper spiritual reality that is happening. And so it was a dark place. It was a night-like place in Jacob's soul at this moment. It felt dark, it felt chaotic. And what he thought to be the end of his life, as we see throughout the story, is actually the very beginning of it because from the darkness, the spirit hovers over and begins to create life. I don't think y'all picked up what the scripture was putting down there. At times, what appears to be the end of your life, the darkest night, the most chaotic season, may be the very place that God is trying to spring forth life, beloved. Like, Think, manure doesn't smell good, but it produces flowers that do. And so perhaps when it gets darkest is actually when your soul should seek God the most. Because maybe God is trying to do something in the midst of that darkness that you wouldn't even be able to receive if it had not been for that darkness. God is present in the midst of chaos, family. And so Jacob here is in a dark state. And he takes all of his wives and his kid and everything that he had, and he sent them across this ford, this this stream. In fact, it says he sent them across the Jabuk, which actually is the Hebrew word for empty. And so he sends them and he is empty and there's nothing left around him. He was left alone. And so God does speak in the midst of noise in our life, no doubt. But oftentimes it's in the midst of the silence when there's nothing else for us to cling on to that we see, hear, and wrestle with God most vividly. These are often the times in hardship and in silence where we are most marked by God. These are the moments where we find God, where we are transformed by God, when everything feels dark around us. And so Jacob here is now alone. And then this random dude just shows up and wrestles with them, right? One of the ladies in our exegesis time this week, she said she hated watching wrestling because it's weird. She was like, two dudes not wearing much, sweating way too close, throwing each other around. I'm like, I feel that. That's kind of strange, right? And this scene, it is weird, no doubt. Uh, In fact, Jacob jabuk and wrestled. 
Those three Hebrew words have all the exact same identical sound in Hebrew. And so they're intentionally putting these words on top of each other, trying to draw attention to the scene that is happening. In fact, this is the only place in the Old Testament where that word wrestle is used. Now they could have used another word for wrestle, which was actually just used in Genesis chapter 30, verse eight, just two chapters earlier. So there's this other word, but but the author is intentionally choosing this word that rhymes so that when the hearers listen to it, they realize you're trying to cue me into something that is happening here. What is the author trying to show us? Well, this is a significant moment in Jacob's life. And that this seemingly scary or or hard or overwhelming event, it may be the most significant event in Jacob's life. That all of this trouble and all of this trial and all of this chaos, it's leading to this moment. To apply it really plainly for us, I want you to understand that seasons that may feel like death, seasons that may feel like they're the hardest seasons for you, may be the very season that God is producing the most life from you and the most life in you, family. I think it's an identical point that we just made, but the author here is doubling, tripling down on this reality that it's hard at this season. And as it's hard, Jacob feels alone, but that might be the very place that God intends to show up. God does show up in awesome times, no doubt, right? But I think it's easy for us to believe and to feel like we're receiving the blessing of God when things are awesome. It's a lot harder to feel like God is blessing me when things are really difficult. That's a harder thing to believe. And yet this is where Jacob gets the biggest blessing of his life. God moves in the midst of our chaos. It's often in these dark and down moments that God alters you the most, maybe where you even come into the very presence of God. So here comes this man, right? Wrestling, Jacob having a WWE match with God. And God came and said, hey, knuck if you buck, son. Uh, Translation, that means if you would like to get into a physical altercation, we can do that, all right? It's interesting because this narrator uses this term man, and that's actually a narrative tactic here because the narrator knew who this man was, right? Like, like the narrator knew the end of the story. And so the narrator could have revealed to us, oh, oh, like God came down and began to wrestle, but he didn't identify him as God just yet. He just identifies him as a man. So we as the listeners don't really know who this man is. Why is the narrator keeping God veiled from us in this moment? Well, I think it's an illustration of the inability for humanity to recognize and to behold divinity until divinity decides to reveal himself to us. And often you and I do not see the full picture of God or what God is doing in our life until we wrestle with him long enough for us to see it, family, until we hold on for dear life trusting that God is a God who does not remain hidden from us for long. And if we hold on, we may see God. In other words, dark seasons don't always seem like they're producing beautiful life. But if we cling on to God, my, 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 I wish I had some few witnesses this morning. So this man, right, God, Jesus, wrestled with Jacob until the morning And then he saw that he wasn't winning. He did not prevail against this man. 
Y'all, the Bible is so good. It is so phenomenal. Like, we're gonna come back to this at the end. What a wild phrase here. Like, remember, this is God wrestling, okay? The condescension of Christ. This angel of God is letting himself lose to man just like he would many years later on that cross so that he might eventually win humanity, allowing the loss at this moment. This is profound, y'all. Man, y'all better start worshiping this mug. This is crazy, right? And so he's losing at this moment until he's like, oh no, yeah, we done. Touch dude's hip and I walking with a limp like juvenile the rest of his life, right? So there's a ton we're gonna have to pass over in this, okay? And I could zoom in, there's hours worth of material here, but I wanna zoom in thinking about this darkness and this revelation of God and zoom in to verse 26 and 27. You see, Jacob, after this hip touch is now completely helpless. He's unable to use his hip. In fact, that Hebrew word shows that it was actually his sciatic nerve that they touched. And so literally, if that gets disabled, you cannot stand or even on your knees. You have to be on your body, on your belly. And so here is Jacob, completely helpless, could not stand before God. And he's on the ground, holding on to God and not letting go until he receives from Jesus. And gosh, how I long to live my entire life like this. Here's what I learned from sabbatical. What if I operated my entire life like this scene right here? That I would not let go of Christ until I received from Christ. Mainly, not blessing in and of itself, but Christ himself which as we'll see in this text is the very thing that Jacob received. There were no new promises. There was no new land. There was no new offering. There was nothing but Christ. But when Jacob realized that he had beheld the face of Christ, he was a changed man. What if my entire life, I do not let go until I receive Jesus? Like, like really practically, right? Like think about it in like my devotional time or my quiet times. Like rather than setting aside, whatever, 45 minutes to make sure I have enough time to pray and read and whatever, like, like what if I went to bed just a little bit earlier so I can wake up just a little bit earlier so I can have, I don't know, let's say two hours to actually really wrestle with the Lord every single day and not leave that time with God until I receive blessing from God, AKA, till I receive Christ himself. Like, what would that begin to look like if you and I thought about this in every season of good in all of our devotion to God and even in seasons in bad in our life that we do not let go till we see Jesus? Like, I think we often exit the Bible way too early and then we do not receive the promise of God that would breathe life into our situation. We exit community way too quickly. And then we miss the redemption and the repentance and the reconciliation that could be had for us. And we see pictures of the gospel that endures us in the gospel. We bounce on the church too quickly and we, we miss the mission of God. We don't cling. And if we learn to cling and to fight until we see God, oh my gosh, y'all, our entire lives will be changed. And I think that that type of grasped determination is one of the most important things that we can do as saints of Christ to receive from him and to understand more of who he is. Y'all feel me right now? What I'm saying here, family, is that even if the season that you're in seems like the valley of death, like Jacob here, he's literally in a valley and he literally thinks he's about to die. 
Even if it seems like the valley of death, even if darkness is all around, Christ is still present, maybe even more present in those seasons. You see, the trick is, is that these dark seasons tend to shadow the face of Christ for us. And we don't realize that God is right here in our midst. And so we don't hold on and we end up missing the person of Christ. You don't even realize who it is that you're, you're wrestling against. And you end up focusing more on the season, more than focusing on the person that can transform the season. And you think it just to be a man, it might be Christ trying to reveal himself to you and the truest part of who he is and the truest part of who you are, if you would but cling family, what would it look like for you in this season and in every season to cling to Jesus? Like, like to hold on to Christ and to not let him go, no matter how limp you may be at that moment, until you receive from him, until you receive a blessing now listen, in blessing, I'm not speaking about a new job or a girlfriend or something like this, okay? Like those things might be part of the blessing of God, praise God. But what I'm saying is there's more of Christ to be had, y'all. It's the premise of the sermon, right? Like, like you can multiply Jesus in your life. Like, like the very man who is life himself or peace himself or joy himself or all of the things that we tend to look for, like he is Jesus and there's more of that to be had, family. This is an unbelievable truth. And if we cling on to Jesus, I believe we find joy in life in unreal ways. And this is where what seems like death or what seems like maybe even a permanent limp might transform you and the generations ahead of you if you learn to cling to Jesus in those moments. And so Jacob isn't letting go, right? And then the man asks Jacob, hey, what, what is your name? Bible cheat sheet. Whenever God asks a question, he ain't asking a question. He already knows the answer to it. He's not asking the question for his information. He's asking the question for your revelation. And so Jacob at this moment has to say, my name is deceiver or trickster or heel grabber. That's what the name Jacob literally means in Hebrew. One who grabs the heel, right? Like, you know, the idiom that somebody's pulling your leg, that means they're tricking you. It's almost the exact same in Hebrew. If you're pulling somebody's heel, you are a trickster. You're a deceiver, a heel grabber. Jacob is carrying almost the exact same name as Satan, a deceiver, right? And he has to now save his name as he is on his face, grabbing at the heel of God, deceiver, God forcing him to recognize who he is. Which really important point here, y'all. Jacob is acknowledging that he is a broken man. And the acknowledgement of brokenness and sin before God always leads to the exact opposite thing that you think is going to lead to. You see this acknowledgement of brokenness and sin. God didn't say that's right and that's why you're limp. He changed this whole man's identity. And as we acknowledge our brokenness before God, we do not receive the condemnation of God. You also, like Jacob, receive an eternal new name, beloved. Like when you go in heaven, Revelation tells us you will get a new name just like this man. And it's because we acknowledge our need for God. And so in his brokenness, he does not receive condemnation, but grace and mercy at this moment. 
God here says, your name is no longer deceiver. It is Israel. And Israel has this crazy beautiful dual meaning because Israel can be translated to fight with God, but it can also be translated, God fights for us, which seems to be most of our lives, isn't it? You think you're fighting with God, not realizing God is actually fighting for you. Hello. He's actually trying to change us, right, into the true us. And as we think, God, why are you doing this? And, why? and we feel like we're striving with God. In reality, it's actually God fighting for us to make you more into his image, to transform you into a greater glory. Once we stop wrestling with God and start clinging to God, and start asking of God, you discover that he came into the darkness not to fight you and not to harm you, but to bless you, to give you identity, to give you purpose, most importantly, to give you himself. And that's the exact blessing that Jacob got. Verse 30, right? He calls the name of the place Peniel, the crux of this passage, like, like, like the pinnacle of all of this. If you look at the, the way the Hebrew set up, this is like the pinnacle of the passage. Notice he did not name this place. I was in a wrestling match with God and almost won. He also did not name this place, God wounded me. But he named this place, I have seen God. Gosh, I hope you understand what I'm saying and pointing out that. That's difficult to explain, right? Like I think that in our dark valleys, we often come out of those seasons naming the valley something that happened to us or something that we did rather than naming about who God is and what he's done in our life at that moment. And when we do this, we focus on the season rather than focusing on God. And we might have the blessing of being out of that season, but we will not have the blessing of seeing God in a new light family. Like, like, let me say it like this, okay? Notice that his trauma did not become his identity. I was wounded. No, his trauma produced in him identity. Many of us allow hardship to define us rather than allowing hardship to refine us. God does not waste your pain, beloved. Like, like he often wants to meet you profoundly through it if you would cling to Jesus in that moment, family. God is wanting to move with you. You are not fighting God. God is fighting for you. In fact, let me nerd out real quick. Can I be a little bit of a Bible nerd? I referenced juvenile earlier, so now I gotta be a little bit of a nerd, all right? Some redemption. Genesis 28, okay? This is the second time that Jacob has actually seen visions of God. And the first time, notice what Jacob was focused on. This place, this place, the house of God, the house of God. The name Bethel literally means house of God. But this time when he sees God, he's focused on God, not the place, not the blessing, not what was happening to him or what wasn't happening to him. His focus has now shifted to God. You see, the first time, Genesis 28, Jacob didn't change a whole lot. 29, 30, 31, he's still a swindler. He's still a deceiver. It's like he saw God, but he didn't get it, y'all. He did not change in the midst of it. He did not learn how to cling to Jesus and recognize Jesus as treasure, as everything. But this time, this man's whole name changed. The whole course of his life changed. 
he ends up back in the promised land and beginning to see the revelation of God. Jacob saw God and lived. Notice, in fact, even the idea of this text. It started off as night or dark, but then look at what the sun did. It didn't just rise. The sun actually rose upon him. Y'all ever had the sun rise upon you? No, you have not, because it doesn't work like that, right? It just rises, but, but the text is really clear. Jacob saw, there was revelation. He was changed because now he is able to see the beauty of God. As we cling to Jesus and as we ask for blessing of Jesus, more of Jesus, then the son of God also rises upon us and you and I see clearly too. And our lives are changed in the midst of that. Jacob is now a forever marked man because of this moment. And in fact, every time he feels his hip, it's a reminder of this moment. I identify with that. I had a wrist injury and it stopped me from playing football, but it started me on the path to ministry. And oftentimes when I feel that, I think about my life and I think, man, if I had chosen that life rather than this, I don't know where I would be. And so this wound, which at the time felt really like, like, like I was mad at God. In fact, if I could be honest, it was one of the only times I cussed God out in my life because I was a freshman in college. I know what I was doing, right? No, I'm just kidding, right? Like, like I was bad for real. And I'm like, God, but, and now it's a reminder of God's great grace and mercy in my life. It's a reminder of maybe even he allowed that wound so that he can fulfill a much greater purpose, y'all. And I would much rather be here in so many different ways. Now, look, it's not like every time my wrist gets hurt, I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You're so good. I remember, right? Like, it don't work like that. However, God sets up all of these different things in our life to try to help us remember who he is. This is true in many seasons of our suffering. And as, as a family, as we suffer in different ways, I'm reminded about God's faithfulness to redeem. And so God allowed Jacob's pain to continue his whole life. Isn't that interesting? God could have healed, Right? So I don't know why God has allowed your hip to be put out of place in different seasons, y'all. I really don't. I don't know why God allows these limping moments in your life and doesn't heal. I still wish often that I have not gone through some of the things that I went through. However, what I do know is that we can either be bitter at the limp or recognize God's grace through it. We could focus on what happened in the midst of it and let our identity be about wounding, or we could focus on what God was doing through it. And if we can see God in the midst of it, God promises that he takes even the things that Satan himself meant for evil and he will redeem it for good. God is good. Because in that limp, maybe that's where you finally met Jesus. Maybe that's where you finally recognize his grace. Maybe ministry burst forth in these unbelievable ways. Maybe generations ahead of you will be changed if you learn to cling to Jesus in those seasons. And so even in our trials, as we wrestle with God and as we wait on God, my guess is that God is going to show you something beautiful through it, family. And with the locusts ate up, God will produce such rich fruit in place of the fruit that was eaten that you, like Paul, will begin to say you rejoice in your trials because of what they produced in you and who they showed you, Jesus. What is your limp, family? Like, for real, what is your limp? Generally speaking, like this season speaking, can you see how God is not trying to fight you, but maybe trying to reveal himself to you 
in these seasons? And what if we resolved in good season or in bad season to cling on for dear life for Jesus until we receive more of Jesus? Because here's the reality, y'all. As beautiful and as much as we can glean from Jacob's life here and this encounter, the man that Jacob was wrestling is pointing us towards truths that are that much greater. You see, Jesus would end up becoming the greater Jacob who ended up wrestling a much greater wrestle with God the Father who clung on much tighter and he ended with an eternal limp as the holes are in his feet for all of eternity. There's a greater Jacob that this is pointing to y'all. And his name is Jesus. You see, 2,000 years later, another man would come onto the scene. And for many, they would not behold that this was the very face of God wrapped in human flesh. And as Jesus grew up in this obscurity, not really realizing he also wrestled with humanity, as he wrestled with the Pharisees, as he wrestled with his disciples, as he wrestled with his family, and he wrestled with humanity to the point all the way up until death, even death on a cross. And he would allow humanity to momentarily prevail over him so that he can win humanity that you and I might be saved forever, y'all. This is good news. This man would die humble himself all the way to death. And then what we celebrate next Sunday, he would resurrect. And as the sun rose, we realize, oh my gosh, this was not just a man, this was God. And everybody who looks to Jesus will be saved. They will have life. They will say, I have seen God and live forever. This story is pointing us to the story of the gospel. And if the gospel is true and the biggest debt of our sin has been paid for, then why would God not show up in these other seasons too, family? That's the truth all throughout the scripture. You see, Jesus would become the greater Jacob and wrestle with God on our behalf. It's really interesting. Verse 32, it says that these people, they did not eat from the sinew of the thigh for all the rest of Israel's history. Like sometimes these moments of suffering change us so much, they change generations ahead of us as well. And yet, isn't it interesting that the very thing that killed Christ, the wounds of Jesus, that in just two minutes, we're going to go take communion and remember the wounds of Jesus. As we rip off the bread, we are remembering his body torn. And as we dip it in the juice, we're remembering the blood of Jesus spilled that instead of not eating for the rest of eternity, we will eat of the table, remembering the wounds of Christ that brought you freedom. And if Christ's wounds bring you freedom and you are in Christ, then won't your wounds bring other people freedom too? Isn't that what we're remembering even to an extent at the table of God. And so listen to me, y'all. There is more of Jesus to be had. And I hope that's good news for at least five people today. (laughs) There is more. There is more of Jesus to be had. And if you can learn to cling to Christ, to wrestle with him, to go, I won't let you go, then even when it seems like everything is put out of place and you're on the floor suffering I believe there's resurrection and the sun will rise upon you as well and you will get more of Jesus and that family of God is where true life is. It's found in the son of God. And so I pray we would forever be a family, right? That sits in this, that we do not let go, 
that we might behold the face of God and be transformed forever. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray together. Jesus, our precious Savior and our brother, our friend and our suffering servant, you are good. Jesus, I thank you that you, you held on as those nails were holding you in on that cross so you too held on, you would not let go until not you receive a blessing until we receive it. Until we receive eternal life, such is your love for us. And so, Father, I pray just two very simple things today. One, I pray that anybody who walked in here, not really sure of where they are with you. Maybe they've been kind of wrestling and trying to figure this thing out. Maybe they haven't even realized that you are in this place trying to find them and show them. Maybe whatever it might be, God, maybe they they feel wounded and not realizing that that wounding was you maybe trying to draw them to them. I pray that today you, friend, if you do not know Jesus, would realize you have a God that loves you, that longs for intimacy with you, that longs for relationship with you, that literally will produce life inside of you, that even if that limp remains, you will walk forever in eternity because of his wounds for us, that you can have a relationship with Jesus. God, I pray that people that walked in unsure about you would walk out as sons and daughters of God. And Christ, I pray for all of us who have made that profession who have said, you are God. <laughs> like I've beheld God as, I, as I've seen Jesus in the scriptures or as I've felt Jesus in worship or as I've seen Jesus in community. Like, like I believe that I have seen God and I live now. God, would that forever be our plea and forever be our cry? And would you strengthen our hands that we might grasp onto you a little bit more, Jesus? that we would endure that much longer, that we would see you are not fighting us, you are fighting for us. And that we would stop fighting you and submit, say, we want more of you, Jesus. Would that be true in each of our lives? Praise in your beautiful name, Christ. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.